Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. What's going on? It's Kevin Hart. And this week, I wanted to feature some of my favorite conversations from Comedy Gold Mines. How about we start it out with my old friend, Sarah Silverman. You're listening to the best of Comedy Gold Mines. We got an amazing mind, one of my favorite minds. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Sarah Silverman on the goddamn show. Hey, Sarah, how you doing? Hart. What an introduction. Did you like it? could see what I could see. This guy comes in, he finished shooting a scene like six and a half minutes ago, walks into a room, sits down, I'm watching, he puts his things on, puts his mic on, three, two, one, and he's- No, I don't have time to waste. I got too much shit to do. Too much shit to do, but today it's not about me, it's about you, Sarah. I want people to get an opportunity to not only get to know you, but to get to know things that they may not have known about you. Of course, we gotta start off and stand up because it's based off of us being comedians. Sarah, how long have you been doing comedy? Oh my gosh. I started getting like paid sets, $10 sets when I was 19. And that was 30 years ago. <laughs> I love the hesitation. I love the hesitation, but why? You know, I've never really understood. I, I kind of understand it, but I don't. You know, when there's such a reservation about, um about the age. And I know, you know, with women, of course, it's different and it always has been different. But I think there's also like a a, a dope, a dope piece of pride and, and success and story attached to that number as well. And in your case, you know, you're a pioneer. You're a pioneer when it comes to this thing called stand-up comedy. And here's why I say that, Sarah. You have always been what I what I would like to call, you know, those outside the box thinkers that that have found a way to be so witty, so creative, so dope, and yet so personal to where nobody else can fall into your space. Like your style of stand-up comedy has been so unique and so you, it's never been duplicated. I've never seen, I've never seen nobody like duplicated. Like if I, if I could compare you to somebody, I would say, you, you, and I hate to do the male-female thing, but in this comparison, I'm doing it just for it to make sense. David Tell had such a unique way of thinking, right? Yes. You, to me, were along those same lines when it came to material. Oh, wait, that's such a jokes. compliment. I swear to you, I mean it. I, I swear was just to wearing you, I mean a t-shirt it. that he gave me that's like, you can see through it. It's so worn out. <laughs> it means not like, it's just like some heavy metal, like some hot blonde with big boobs on the front of it or something. <laughs> but you held on to it. Soft. Why, where do you think your style of comedy came from? I, uh, 
I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I always wanted to be a comedian. Did you always want to be, I always wanted to be a comedian since third grade. Really? Yeah, I've never. I stumbled on minds. I knew, I knew I wanted to do something that was funny, but I can't sit up here and honestly tell you that it was always the plan to do stand-up comedy. I mean. Like you didn't think about it until you were the, the funniest guy at the speaker star? I was, I was definitely the funniest kid coming up. Right. I was definitely the funniest kid, you know, in class in school. But it wasn't until I got, you know, to that 17, 18 year old age when the opportunity, you know, it, it came and it was brought up in conversation that I was like, oh, shit, that would be dope. And then it became more of a real thing. It was always an idea, but I can't say it was my want. It was a want for you. You knew you wanted that. Yeah, I just I mean, I was like the family i kept the family laughing my you know i was the youngest are you the youngest i am the youngest i'm the youngest out of two my dad has other kids but i don't i don't claim them right they're not in in the where who you grew up with yeah i mean yeah my dad's got he's got my dad's got a lot of other kids but i don't really know them all like that so i always say it's just me and my brother and my dad other kids right, right does that right. make sense yes how many totally. how many do you have i've got there's four girls but I do have like step siblings that were adults when my parents got married. So I never lived with them. And okay. this, so it's the same thing. I never mentioned them, but I love them, but they're older. Like they never lived under the same roof or anything. Cause my, okay. <laughs> when my mom married their dad, but yeah, but there's four, um, four of us, four girls. So was it a shock to anybody when you made the decision to do stand up comedy or everybody knew it was coming? I think everyone knew it was coming. I was always like, I was the class clown and, you know, like just, unless I was like in depression, which I was, I could barely even function or go to school. But mm -hmm. other those, than those times, I was the clown. Like I was- when, when you say in depression, why? Why was that? I don't know. It, like, I remember when I was 13, it just came over me like, you know how fast like a cloud will cover the sun and you're like, is it dark out? You know, or, mm -hmm. or like, have you ever gotten the flu where you're fine one second and then you're like, oh my God, I have the flu. It was like mm -hmm. that fast. It wasn't like uh, my parents got divorced or, I mean, they did, but you know, it was like just a chemical, like all of a sudden the world looked one degree different to me. And like, if your perspective changes one degree, the whole world looks different. And that can be a revelation or horrifying and you know terrifying you know in your in your older age now is that something that you still deal with or is that something of the past uh you know I still deal with it on a mild level but I can handle it like I've been mm -hmm. on Zoloft for since 94. Wow and wow. just the smallest dose like mm -hmm. I cut I break whatever the one is like in half and I take that and it's just been the perfect thing where I don't feel trapped in the middle with no highs or lows. I do have mm -hmm. highs and lows, but they mm -hmm. aren't debil they they aren't debilitating as much. Okay. You know, they they don't make me paralyzed with fear, you know, as much. Like I can handle it. When I have lows, I can think to myself, like, this will pass. I know okay. for a fact this will pass. You know what I mean? Like, you know what when you say you can handle it. And you say, you know, you're you take just the the smallest dose. Um, it's crazy that you say that because I I I know so many people that now speak as confidently as you do when when talking about anxiety or or depression. And just to tie it back into comedy, you know, they say that stand-up comics, a lot of us 
you know, they say are some of the darkest people uh, on I mean, the planet. How many comics do you know that killed themselves? I mean, there's a there's a lot of fucking there's a lot of goddamn dark stories it's attached silly. to stand up comedy. That's a why I always of. think comics should, like I definitely have had that feeling like shit's crazy in this country. I should get a gun and learn how to use one and everything. And, but I'm just like, I just don't think comics should have guns. It's like, we're too whimsical, <laughs> you know? We're too dangerous. We're already too dangerous. That yeah, we don't want to like, we're, we're, like in a bad moment, we'll, we'll blow our brands out. <laughs> I'm not laughing at the idea of a comic blowing their brains out, but I'm laughing at the truth behind <laughs> exactly. comics being so dark. Um, I mean, do you feel like comedy has helped you though? Has has it helped you uh, through these times? Like, has stand up comedy acted as a you know as a as a as a calming a calming device for you? I mean, um, yeah, I stand up. I, I say, you know, don't you feel like stand up just saved your life? You know, Absolutely. like in, in so many ways. Absolutely. Yes. I, I can't imagine being anything else. You know, you know, people go like, what you do is so brave. And I just think, I think going to a nine to five job is so brave. Like mm. it's, I, I, I feel like I don't know if I would make it, you know? Mm. Mm. I, I mean, and I work long hours. I mean, God, you know, it's, we work especially like in acting or shooting stuff it's just like endless hours but it's not the time or it's not the work like i def i think i work pretty hard for someone who's inherently so deeply lazy but what do you mean of course you work pretty fucking hard i don't like listen i don't i don't like when people disrespect the hard work that goes into stand-up comedy like this yeah there's, you're right. there's a there's a crazy amount of work that goes into stand-up comedy and i'm not talking about you know, just the the writing of the jokes and the performance on stage. I'm talking about the travel. I'm talking about you I know mean, the constant no tug of war in your mind. How often you're at like the Southwest Gate, you know, or like just it's just so much travel, so much time alone. And you know, I do know comics who can't be alone. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they always have to have someone with them and everything. And you know, I just think it's such a benefit if you can really, you can really love being alone I, I'm a people person I like being with people but to master like being your own best friend is just such a good thing better in this. space it's a better space how have you dealt with uh with stand-up comedy and you know the lack of during this pandemic I started a podcast like you I mean, are you I, serious where am I where can I put this you know so like that's been kind of do you feel this way like it's been a real revelation because everyone had a podcast and I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to have one. And then there's no stand up, And I'm like, I have to do a podcast. I mean, I don't know where to put all of this. And it's mm -hmm. kind of a revelation for me of just like enjoying this, this other form, you know, where mm. there, where I was like, I can't do zoom stand up. Like you need the audience, but then this is something that doesn't have an audience and it's, I like it in a whole new way, but I've always liked odd jobs. I like the different, you're the same way. Like I like all the different things you can do and the different mediums, you know, with the, well, our set of skills. There you go. That's what I was about to get to. I was like, you know, the thing about stand-up comedy, that's so amazing. I feel like, I feel like it opens doors that you had no idea that you would be able to get to. You knew that these doors existed. But you didn't know how to get to them. And I think stand-up comedy, what it does is it puts you as a talent in a, in a place to be able to do so much if you want to. 
right? Yeah. And and as a creative mind, we're always thinking, like you said, during a pandemic, you was like, where do I put this? What do I do? Because you're creative. You're you're constantly, you're constantly thinking, you're constantly pushing your mind to do more, say more, be more. And and for me, I'm so goddamn active. I can't not be inactive. I can't. So when the pandemic and everything hit, it was more of a challenge to me to figure out the other things that I can do. What if this is, what if this is the new way of the world? What if this is it? What if this is going to be the new norm? And if it is, then what's the new, what's my new every day? Comedy what's my new way. Oh my God. Or else you're old. I you mean, know, you're like, well, I can't do these newfangled things. I can't learn this technology. It's like, well, then you're old. You're going to be too much. from the past. Do you see it coming back uh, and, and, you know, us being able to get back to the way that, that we once were in it? Or do you see like uh, a, a long time period before we're back into those, you know, the, the, the crowded spaces, the, the, the packed comedy clubs or packed theaters or venues, whatever, whatever it is, do you I see it getting so. back? I can't wait to get this fucking vaccine. Like, I just can't wait. And I feel like when everyone's got it or most people have it, you know, we'll never be the same in that in, a, in one good way where it's like people will go like, oh, I feel sick. I'm going to wear a mask, you mm -hmm. know, like, so mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, nobody's, no one's even getting the flu because of people wearing masks. Like it's, it's, you see what the difference is when you wear a mask and wash your hands and stuff, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I hope it comes back. I'm doing, there's some outside shows here and it's good. You know, they're really good, but I still go home and go, Oh God, I hope I didn't, I just want to be so safe. I like, we're so close to the end. And I just like, if I was in New York, I could get a vaccine because they, they're vaccinating people with asthma, but they aren't here yet. Really? But I want it. I mean, you know, I think that uh, you bring up an interesting point. I think the world, of course, becomes a much more comfortable place when the vaccine is is given to to the bulk, you know, when, it, when it's available for so many more people to get it. I think it is going to bring in a, a high level of comfort. Um, it's all about who's taking it, who isn't. And, you know, if the question of it being mandated comes into play, whatever, like it's mm -hmm. TBD. I, I don't know. So I don't, I don't like to talk about what I don't know. I'm not that guy. I don't, I don't put the conspiracy theories out there. I don't try to solve them. All I know is that I want the world to get back to being what it once was. And I'm all for whatever fucking does that. That's, yeah. that's the fence that I'm on. Um, I will say though, you know, with, stand-up comedy there's more questions that i have for you just in the temperature the temperature of comedy today how do you feel how do you feel about the conversation that's attached to the thing that is a joke you know you're a person that's experienced some some fire you know you're no stranger to to conversation being attached to a moment or an attempt to be funny uh and and receiving backlash how do you feel about that in in today's time do you think it's too much are you are you ready for you know there to kind of be a leveled out understanding of joking versus not joking or what I could argue either side, you know, obviously I'm like, you know, like two weeks in a row, like real, I, I'm like apologizing for jokes I made about Britney Spears 14 years ago. I'm apologizing for that. And you know what? I don't, apologizing doesn't 
shame me. It doesn't scare me. I, it makes me feel free. Like I, I never mm -hmm. understand how it's hard for people. Like I apologize when I'm sorry. I don't apologize when I'm not sorry, but I'm fucking sorry a lot. Like, you know, because comedy isn't evergreen. And to that point I go, I, I'm not a bad person because I mm. did a bad thing in the context of what we've learned in the world. Like, I fuck, I've lived a long time publicly. I've fucked up a lot. And it's like, because comedy is an evergreen, it's going to go bad. And so, you know how they say, like, you can look at the same painting every day for your whole life. And it's, you see it in a new way every time, because you're looking at, at it in the context of what's happened in your life. You're looking at the context, the macro of like what's happening in the world and it changes what you see. That's what makes it art. So like seeing comedy as art, it is, you know, mm. it changes. Like now this thing that killed and was so funny is like, we, we cringe at it or it's, you know, it's deeply rooted in racism or it's, you know, it's like all these things that become like, as we wake up more and more and, and empathize with people and understand people's experiences more like stuff goes bad but I don't know how we I, I think there's a difference between acknowledging the past and making amends with it and 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 litigating the past you know mm. and I just mm. quoted Neil Brennan's joke which is so brilliant of like and I'll, I'll fuck it up terribly, but I think about it all the time in terms of this, because they'll go like, he, he has some joke about people going up to LeBron James and being like, this is a picture of you when you were 15 and you're only five, seven. And he's like, yeah, but I grew. Yeah, but this is you. Right. And it's like, it is so true. And, and it just, you know, I always call it like righteousness porn because it's like, do people when they point out a fucked up thing you did and they demand an apology or this or that, it's like, do you want this person to change or do you want them secretly to stay the same so you can point to them as wrong and you yourself is right? Such You bring up such a good point. I wish I had a horn on my <laughs> podcast so I could, meh, meh, meh. I wish I had a DJ horn. So I can me 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 Oh my god. Wanna make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. What up, world? This is Kevin Hart. We got a brand new episode of Comedy Gold Mines next week. But today, well, today I'm playing some of my favorite guests. Here's Hassan Minaj on Comedy Gold Mines. This, this is the this. best of Comedy Gold Mines. Once again, we're inside the mind of Hassan Minaj. And before we took a break, Hassan, you said something so fucking amazing. You said when Russell Peters made it, it was so big for you and other Indian 
other Indian, let's just say comics, entertainers, whatever it may be, because it's the first time that you saw somebody yes. that looked like you yes. that, that was that was blowing up. Bro, I'll paint the picture. Let's paint it. November 2005, tickets go on sale. Royce Hall, UCLA. This is, a, this is his first North American tour. I got to tell Russell this story. I pay $80 plus the Ticketmaster fee. Bro, I never want to forget this. It was $14. I was like, fuck Ticketmaster. $95. I drive from Sacramento down to LA to see him. I'm like, yo, this is the first guy he's headlining. Chris Spencer opens for him. Mm. And I remember like Russell comes out. I was way up in the nosebleeds. And I watched the whole show. He had a white jacket. He had an all white suit on. It was crazy. But I remember looking around me. I was like, I cannot believe this. There's a whole theater full of people to watch a dude who looks like me be funny. Like I just mm. it blew my fucking mind. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. You know what I mean? And it's and it's literally it's for yeah. every it's for every race. Like I love how you said you know for the Latino community. You know you got you got Asians. Uh, you know I mean there's there's so many when when you go to break down all of the different ethnicities that that are partaking in stand up and that have had an opportunity to reach these levels of success, to be supported by your people and then draw other people to you and your talent, it's it truly does become the American dream. Totally. It, it truly does become that, man. And when you talk about Russell, I give you a, a great fucking Russell story. Russell was doing crazy tour numbers. This motherfucker was selling out arenas. What? What yeah. is, what, Russell's doing what? Oh my God, Kevin Hart, in the beginning of his stand-up like blossom, yeah. I said, show me Russell's layout of his tour. Oh wow. How big are the venues? What did he always go that big? Was he patiently? How did it happen? I wanted Russell's information because I was so blown away by Russell's consistent numbers on his tour. Even when it got to the point where I got, uh, when I started getting the movies, I got into an argument with a studio over a Russell Peters casting. And there was a conversation back and forth. And I was like, you're arguing when a person has the fucking proof yeah. that they have a following. This is when I started to understand yeah. what, what results in ticket sales meant. You can't tell me because I have the leverage. Russell had the leverage, and at the time, I don't think Russell realized how much leverage he actually had when, when he was in that. And I want to give you props, because I think with what you did with Think Like a Man, the first one, the way you kind of really toured that movie to make it a thing, mm -hmm. it's a, it, bro, I, I took it as a page of inspiration, you know, mm -hmm. and before I launched my show on Netflix, I did the same sort of thing. I did a 40-city tour, and I'm, hey... October 28th, my show mm. drops. Everybody add it to your queue right now. Mm. Because I remember seeing videos of you going to these theaters. Fuck yeah. Basically starting this groundswell of like, all right, you guys are my core cult followers. You, you fuck with me. And I'm asking you, your loved ones, whoever, just spread the word. Like do a verbal Yelp review. Tell mm. them to go watch the movie, you know? And so, That's so I, strong. I, I saw you able to, you know, you, you built that, intimate relationship with your fans and then you got them to transact yeah you mentioned a netflix show right and and you know of course that that show i don't want to say that that show acted as a stamp of your arrival right because 
as a comedian, I of course knew who you were. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm familiar with you as a writer. I'm familiar with uh yeah, like I'm I'm familiar with that side. Of, so for me, it's different. Like I I I consider all of that success. I consider every job that a comedian gets and it comes from that microphone, it's yeah. fucking success. Yeah. The beauty of the Netflix show after hearing you talk, it sounds like an opportunity for you to go to mom and dad and go, guys, yeah. it's it's working. Yeah. My, my 10 years, it's working. I, what was that conversation? How did it feel? And what was the dad's response to it? So, so I got to go back a little bit, actually. I remember when I got hired at the Daily Show to be a correspondent. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, me and Trevor were hired the same day. But I was the last correspondent hired by John. And I remember telling my dad, hey, John Stewart hired me. And uh, I had been doing stand-up comedy 10 years, one month, and nine days. Holy shit. At that point. Holy shit. But my dad was able to recognize it because John Stewart wore a suit. So he didn't see it as, yo, this guy performs for drunks, you know? My dad was aware of the show because sitting presidents come on The Daily Show to talk with John. Oh, my God. Senators come on the show to, you know what I mean? Class oh and capability. Oh, my God. There is nobody classier in show business than John Stewart. I, you know, especially during that run, nobody. I, sta I stand with you in your statement. Nobody is classier than that guy. I stand with you in your statement. I stand by you, and I will, I will cold-heartedly not only put John on a pedestal, but I'll help hold the pedestal up. One of no. the best guys, when you say classy, I'm talking class act, professional, solid stand-up. He's a great fucking guy. I stand with you yeah. in your statement. The second was capable. Like, this dude was firing on all cylinders. That 17-year that run that he had, and you get it because you've, you've had such longevity in the business. I don't think people understand how hard it is to play at that high of a level for 17. It's fucking crazy. It's, it's crazy. So um, when that happened, you know, it was just, it changed, it changed our relationship. We were able to talk, you know, he was able to come to the tapings. He could see it. Mm. And then the White House Correspondents Dinner really just completely changed shot you. That, that shot yeah. you out the goddamn and camera. That put, and that put me in the international kind of limelight because everybody around the world watches that gig. Because mm -hmm. I don't think people, people understand this. This is the only country in the world where there's a, where there is a night where you can make fun of the president. Oh my God. But no other country has, China doesn't have that. No, Even other democracies don't have that. Brazil doesn't have that. India doesn't have that. So the world is watching. So yeah, 10 million people on YouTube see it, but a hundred million people around the All world. All around the world see it. By the way, because we're America, everybody wants to see the quarterback get sacked. Mm -hmm. I love your fucking analogies. That's the one night where the court jester gets to go at the king and lives and lives, bro. What do you do? You write that set, uh, you know, as soon as you get the gig, are you, you know, are you like, fuck, man, what am I going to say? Do you go to like some of your closest, your bro, guys? My, like, my how do you put story, that together? My whole story, man, I'm like the Patrick Beverly story, you know, like I'm the undrafted guy who found an opportunity, even with The Daily Show. 
you know, Michael Che left to go to SNL. So there was an open spot. And so there was this little blip. My manager emailed me. I'm like, I think I was born for this. Like the daily show is speech and debate. I can do this. Like mm. I can do this. You have to write a desk chat. I'm like, I can write. I've been writing this since high school. So that was an opportunity where, yo, th there was just a, there was an opening in the line of scrimmage. I ran through it, you know, with the correspondence dinner. It was the first year Trump didn't show up. All the celebrities pulled out, the endorser, the endorsements pulled out. Nobody, it was, it was radioactive, right? Now, people don't know this. James Corden was supposed to host. But James is, you know, his brand is so, he's so likable. He didn't, he was like, yeah, maybe I don't want, I don't want to alienate anybody. So once again, the gig fell in the hands of an immigrant. Oh, like, all right, God. you know oh, what I mean? We'll, we'll do the work that nobody else will do. Mm. And so time and time again, I've always been this low draft pick, but if you put me in the game, all right, I might hit a big shot. I'm, I, I'm going to seize the moment. Seize the moment, you know? And so, oh my God. So like that changed my life. And a few months later, Netflix called, hey, do you have, do you have an idea for something? And once again, you know, that immigrant hustle, I was already sitting on. Yep, you, yeah. you got nothing. You got nothing in the goddamn can. So, yes, I do. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I, I basically took my life savings. I don't want to say it on air, but I can tell it to you what it was off air. I talked to my wife. We had our life savings. And I knew, I told her, I was like, as soon as I got off stage at the correspondence dinner, I was like, I got to go be a free agent. I have to leave the Daily Show. Now, let me ask you something, right? What is the, what's the reason for not wanting to say your life savings? What's the reason for keeping that information to yourself? And the only reason why I ask, the only reason why I ask, is not about the number. Yeah. I give a fuck about the number, right? I don't think that, that the number really holds a real value over what you're saying. Right. But what I, what I like is whatever that thing was, yeah. that thing was attached to you saying that this has to be the time that I seize the opportunity to do what I have put all my time and energy into doing. Yeah. So whatever that number was, and fuck it, don't say it, don't say the number. Yeah. Whatever that number was, it had, it didn't mean anything, but, but it's, but it's important. It was life savings. It was everything we had saved up at that oh point. Oh my God. So 2015. So the reason why I don't want to say the number is because everybody's financial situation is different. different. Yeah. Keep it. And, keep and, it. and I want to be empathetic. Like right now people are going through a lot of pain. Keep it. Keep it. You're absolutely right. But, but I want everybody to know this, whether you have a hundred dollars in the bank or a hundred million in the bank, the risk skin in the game. It's all the same. I put all my skin in the game. I talked, and this was a, this was a deep conversation with my wife because it could have gone two different ways. It was, yo, we could, we could do this life shit or we could do this career thing. And so I called, there was a studio at 34th and 8th. I built a stage over the weekend. It was a new studio, Al Jazeera America. It had gone out of business. The studio was empty. I built the stage with the stage designer. We shot a pilot. And then I went to meet with Ted and everybody at Netflix and I played the thing for them. They're like, you have an idea for a show? I said, fuck, fuck the idea, play. And I just played an episode of Patriot Act. It was already titled, just, it was already, yeah. Just stop for a second. Yeah. Fucking stop. Hold the goddamn press. Somebody shut the front door. Yeah. Flush the toilet. If there's dishes in the sink, clean them. Right now, take a, tell the kids to get off the steps. All right. Cut the <laughs> lights off. Okay. Okay.
okay? <laughs> um, hold the fuck up, man. I, I, please tell me that everybody understands what he just said. The man did not take the meeting that was proposed to him the way that he was supposed to take the meeting. It's a general meeting to either talk about an idea, pitch an idea, sell an idea. What he is saying he did, he's saying I took every fucking thing that I had. I invested that thing that I had in building a stage, building a set for me to do what I believe the idea that I hope hypothetically, possibly Netflix may like, hopefully they may like it. And if they do like it, I invested everything and I put skin in the game and it worked. But if they don't, honey, we are fucked, fucked. but we will, but we will figure it out right. somehow, some way. But I don't think that they won't like it because I think that they will, because I believe that is so strong. That is so fucking strong, man. But Kev, Kev, you know this, man, because I've, see, I've seen, you know, every iteration, every little rise in your career. Coming out of that gig in 2017, I remember I'm walking the red carpet at the Met Gala, right? I'm like, yo, I shouldn't be here. Mm. Like, they made a mistake, but I realized, okay, I have this moment. I'm the hot new kid, right? You only get to be the hot new kid once. Once. One time. And I'm, time. I'm so grateful to God that I was 32 years old when it happened. Because mm. I was old enough to get it. You Mature. know what I mean? Your mindset is prepared to deal yeah. with what's going to come with it. Yeah, I could fuck around and... Mm -hmm get into some nonsense, make some bad financial decisions, make some bad personal decisions, take that for a spin around the block. Mm -hmm. Or I know I have the industry with their back against the wall. They're on the ropes. Are you gonna knock them out? Now you can, whatever you want. When you're hot, you can get whatever you want. So I had this window where they were like, what else does this dude have? My special Homecoming King just dropped mm -hmm. a month after the correspondence. This is like God wins a Peabody. I'm like, okay, I got it in the bag. Like I have them and the, they're gonna ask you, what do you want? You can do whatever you want. So if I have this much leverage, I told my wife, I was like, babe, I gotta do it my way. So it, it's not just being, you know, ostentatious or crazy. You gotta have the window of opportunity. But when you have that window, you gotta go, all chips are in. Mm. And so, um, yeah, man, I'm just so glad that I took that, I took that chance. You know what? I'm glad that you saw it. See, because there's, there's, there's so much brilliance in what you're saying. But the biggest piece of brilliance is you realizing it, right? You right. realizing that the moment was there, right? that you had to seize the moment. Yeah. And the gamble was taking what you had to help you seize the moment. There's a lot of people that may get the moment but are fearful of the moment yeah. are timid within the moment that don't take the moment because they feel like this moment is going to last forever. And it doesn't nah. that moment don't last forever. I don't care how hot something is. The flame will sizzle out, but there's a difference 
when you say, I think this, this flame right now is so hot that it can continue to catch fire. It, it can catch fire elsewhere. I just have to place it in the places for it to catch fire. And that's what I love the most about what you said, because dude, my flame, my flame has been put out several fucking times. So when you say something like I'm not supposed to be here, it hits so hard for me because I know what you're saying. I know that feeling. I know that thought. I know that mindset of how the fuck. I got a question. I got a question for you, please. I'm in the next phase of the career, right? Mm-hmm. So we did six seasons of Patriot Act and it's come mm-hmm. to an end. And now I'm going to the next chapter. When I think of grown little man, 2009, mm-hmm. to me, that's a classic special. Mm-hmm. There's two sets of yours where I feel like you used the instrument of Kevin Hart to the maximum ability. Mm-hmm. If anybody is listening to this right now, go to YouTube, there's a performance of Kevin Hart at Caroline's Comedy Club. He's in a gray oh sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Man, you are using the full, I can see, it's like, it's like seeing an early performance of a great singer. I can see you using every part of your game. Mm. Your first joke, you establish how small you are. You're like, I just want to let everybody know these are all jokes. I don't want anybody fighting me in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. I saw you use the, full, the callbacks, storytelling. Then you see years later with, with I'm a grown little man, all of it, the ostrich story, all of it. Oh, Kevin's a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it was that that was a huge inspiration for me with Homecoming King. If you can tell great stories, set up punch and tags, actually, believe it or not, are kind of the easiest thing. Easiest fucking thing easiest. in the world. You can alt jokes all day. People don't know this. But the greats, who I think right now is the greatest living of all time, is Chappelle. Chappelle mm-hmm. is a phenomenal storyteller 14 out of 10 fucking unbelievable prior all these guys to me were great storytellers Mm -hmm. i think you also fall in that camp of of great storytellers thank you my the question i had for you is and shout out to prashant my co-creator patriot act and my and, and my collaborative partner he's told me he's like now that you're in this next chapter of your career everybody knows your moves you start to become, you can become a caricature of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to ask you is how have you added new moves in the off season to expand your repertoire before you? Such a great question. You know what I'm saying? It's such a great question. Here, here's what, here's what I figured out, right? It's going to sound crazy, but it's so true. Get rich or die trying 50 cent. Like, I mean, you can yeah. put it in the conversation of hip hop's greatest album. One of the greatest albums ever. One of the greatest albums right? ever. And 50 cent put out some more albums and subjective or not to what people were thinking, still fucking great music, but everybody's looking at it, comparing it to the first fucking album, right? right. What helped me was a realization of I'm, I may or may not beat my young or hungry self ever again. I may or may not ever beat grown little man, seriously funny. Yeah. Like that, my that moment when you brought out your kids. Oh my the, God. It's like, I'll never, I'll never beat that. Bro. I, I, 
yo, it's it's like when the the players finish the game and they pull the jersey off and they give it. They, I was like, this dude is pulling out. He's literally showing his children on camera. Like, this is, this I, is, I'm I'm serious, guys. Yeah, what I'm saying is real. Yeah, this moment is for. Here's what it's for. Yeah, I'm putting my life out in front. So when you're when your your partner, he says, you're you're showing your cards, or you know they know your moves, well they don't know your life. And and for you, as a comic, right, you've done a great job of of really being who you are. Right. This isn't a game. It's who I am. And the people that now support me are invested into who I am. Yep. You're not a you're not a sh a stick. You're not a you're not a character. Not so a character. so what I figured out was through my journey in comedy, the people that have grown with me are going to be with me because they see my changes. They see who I'm becoming. And as right. you mature and get older, well your life changes. Now, in your next chapter that you're calling it, well this second chapter is about you honestly after success. And what does that do to you and for you? Because you're you're not going to be the same version of yourself. Yeah. And this is this is a conversation that I've had with my my friends on so many levels when they say, "Yo, man, you know, Kev, you got to figure out a way to dip back into that raw version of you when you first came." And I go, "How? Right, right, yeah, yeah. Where, like, where where do you expect it to come from?" And this is no, this is not something that I, you know, that I want the listeners here to take and, and, you know, look at in a crazy way. My life is different. I, I live different. So as the married man in the house with the four kids, we, I don't have to say what I have or how much I have. My life is mundane. It's not, I don't have a fucking adventure. I'm not living an adventure where you were hungry and we didn't have, and you had to figure it out. The adventure in doing that is where your goddamn flourish came from. So right. now on this side, how do you duplicate a level of funny, but yep. that justifies your real life? When and that's what a long, that's what longevity comes from for me. Right. It comes from just being real. I've never not been real. And in doing that, I'll say with your team, the best thing for y'all to do is to create again. You're not trying to create the same thing. What's the new thing that we can create for me? Like now it's about the creativity yeah, that and goes I, into the I, craft. I, I, I got to give you credit, Kev, like out of, out of my contemporaries and I, what I call contemporaries, I'm talking about the living comedians that are prolific right now. You're one of the most prolific. Love it, hate it. You're putting up shots. All the time. Like no fucks given, I'm putting it up. Don't I'm fuck it up. Hey, I'm putting it up. Hey guys, I'm gonna shoot the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I went and fucking did it. I forgot who I was talking to. Um, it was a uh, Nick Kroll, the the set, and where I did it and how. And I was like, yo, I just it was like a month and a half. And I was like, yo, I'm, I figured out a place where I can get ten to twelve people to come and like watch me perform. And I said, the challenge is me putting together an hour right. in this period of time. Yep being secure with the hour and filming the special from the house. That's the challenge. If I can do it and I'm happy with it. And I think that it's some quality and confidence within what I'm doing and saying, yeah. 
I'm going to fucking do it. The zero fucks given was about me and my thought to whatever anybody else felt about anything that I do. Yeah, yeah. And that's the creativity behind it. Either you like it or don't, but guys, I'm going to continue to fucking throw shit out. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to have a fucking, there's going to be a hell of a, a resume. And for you, when, when I'm looking at you now, I would say for you, that resume is going to be amazing. You just talked to me for damn near 50 minutes. And that 50 minutes was a detailed story about your starting comedy, yeah. how, why, right. your, your dad, uh, debate team, college, fuck it, amateur night, oh shit, did it. I somehow wound up at the correspondent dinner, fucked the carpet, took my savings, hey man, shot a pilot, Netflix said yes, fuck, six seasons later, that's done, but now my next chapter, I'm still a comic, but yo, I'm figuring out. Do you understand how strong that is to be in a position where you say, I'm figuring out? Yeah. That doesn't exist for us because everything for us as creatives is always, it's always like life or death. Yeah. We either have or we don't. That middle, that middle place, only a few see. Yeah, man. Yeah, I got you. And and for you, man, I I am more excited today about what your next special would be and what your next pop on any type of TV or movie or, 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 or uh, digital streaming, whatever the fuck it is, there is no way to say no because you have the resume. Right, right. Your resume says success. No, nah, man, and, and look, man, you're the one that taught me to create that. The people who've rocked with me this long that, that have come to the tour and have supported, like they love what I what I've kind of put up we've had we have this amazing relationship mm-hmm. but you're the one that kind of showed me that yo every special they keep sticking with you you know and as you continue to tell the stories about your family it's almost like they're growing with your family there's this mm-hmm. there's this other part of your guys's journey mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. ask you this man you're in a very unique position and we're living in interesting strange times we really are like boxers or NFL quarterbacks. We're solo practitioners of our art. If there's anybody over the past five years who's taken more blitzes and sacks, it's been you. Mm-hmm. Like these cornerbacks, these motherfuckers are coming for your head. Mm-hmm. I don't and have no feet. Yeah, I don't, bro. Have, I don't have no feet. Oh, like it's like <laughs> I don't have any more feet. Have you ever? And I'm not even gonna name the controversies. Have you mm-hmm. ever felt like this is there? <laughs> not to be like DJ Khaled, but. <laughs> They don't want me to win. It's, 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 They're really it's, trying to end me. How I, do you, how did you get through those storms? Because, because we live in this very strange time when because of digital and all that, you don't know when the blitz is going to come. It's like a drone strike. How did you, how have you survived and made it through? You know what? I mean? The craziest shit will happen to you. And I was telling Prashant, Kev will be on Instagram be like, I know this crazy shit happened, but Jumanji 2 is in theaters right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this motherfucker is being extorted. And he's like, guys, that's fine. I'll pay it. But you have to pay for Jumanji 2 in theaters right now. I go, the level of strength this man has to not panic in the pocket. <laughs> not acknowledge this you said that's fine i'll pay it but listen listen to me 
you I, must I'll tell you, mind you too, in theaters now. Oh it's God, real bro. tears, real no, tears. No, no, this is like, this is a level of mental clarity and like uh, just wherewithal that you have that I don't think people give you credit for. People have no I, idea what this is like. Fuck man, I'm just, I'm just blown away. I'm blown away and I shouldn't be, but I am. I love your commitment to just being you. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with a brand new episode of Comedy Gold Mines next week, but today I'm sharing some great moments from the show. Here's the very funny Bill Burr on Comedy Gold Mines. You're listening to the best moments from Comedy Gold Mines. We are back. I didn't know this We're was back. serious. Why do, what do you mean you didn't know, Bill? I have a channel. You do know I have a channel, Bill. Oh, Kevin, you don't have a channel. Serious I do have a channel. You. No, Bill, I have a channel. You know, I swear to God, you fucking God, comedians. I mean, what do you want me to do, Bill? Laugh out loud. Go to radio. Freedom. It's my channel. I want you Listen. to run the freedom. Yeah. Kev, you slip on one fucking bullshit thing off there. They're gonna, you think that's not your channel. That's well, their Kevin, channel. Kevin Hart could go, but my other shows would stay. No, no. It's my channel. Oh, okay. Yeah, see? Okay. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, look, Bill, I will tell you stuff. You ask me, I'll tell you. Stop making me talk about my personal business. We're not inside the mind of me. You have to fucking apologize because you get in business with suits. Don't get in business with these people. Why do you hate suits so much? Why do you hate them? Because of my experiences with them. Are there any suits that you like, Bill? Uh, I liked Armani for a while. Okay. All right, Bill. That's not what I'm... (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) What's your relationship? I don't know. I I have empathy for him. I actually have empathy for him. Dealing with us crazy people but you know mm-hmm. i mean having to audit people and then also while still being friendly and creating shit with them at the same time is it was sort of a weird dynamic as a comic where you just your whole thing is to be like that's bullshit i'm saying that's bullshit and then when you get into that thing you have to be like and they're like oh that's the other side of the building that's those kooks down in the county <laughs> you and i we're we're bros <laughs> gonna deal what, with that shit and be like, what's yeah. your relationship with your agents like It's wow. better. It's better. Oh, Jesus. What, what just happened? Where did you just go? You just went to a dark place. No, because I was thinking, should I tell this funny story? I'm going to tell. No, I love my agent, but I will, I'll be, I'm not going to lie to you. I was at a premiere one time, and he came up to me. He said, hey, man, you killed a great job. And I was like, yeah, dude, you were great, too. I just, because it was, I thought he was in the movie. And then that's when we were just like, well, maybe we should. I only talked to him on the phone, so oh, I, I forgot what he looked like. Oh, God. He thought he was an actor. He thought his agent was an actor. <laughs> He's a good-looking guy. What can I tell you? Great head of hair. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, Bill, man, you really crushed it, man. Good for you. You too, man. Wait, what? Bill, wait. You're kidding, right? Like, no, oh, Bill, man. I'm your agent. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm sorry. He didn't give a <sighs> shit. We, we, that's like our running joke now. Oh. Uh, how long have you been with him? Um, whenever uh, my booking agent went over to that agency is how long okay. I came. Got you. Got you. We share a lot of 
Bill, you know, we share a lot of the same representation we have for quite some time. You do know that, don't you? Uh, well, Kevin, if you called me a little more often and shared some of your life with me, I guess, I guess I would have to call you. That. You should know that. You should know. I mean, it's, I don't understand how you wouldn't know. I know. I know because I ask. And I was like, oh, that's dope. Bill's got a fucking great team. Everybody knows it, Bill. Yeah, what are you talking about? Everybody knows it. You got a fucking great team of people around you. I know that because they're my team. What's like wrong? Playoffs. Uh, this year, you know what? I am uh, I'm a little, little definitely just I'm heavily disappointed in the uh, NFC and just what we represent for football right now. It's kind of disgusting. Oh, the East. That just, that that was just one of the rare times where all five teams were either rebuilding or had a horrific injury. I mean, it, it was disgusting this year. It, it really got to the point where it frustrated me. So this well, year, six and ten almost won that division. It 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 really <laughs> it really bothers me. But I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to beat the Chiefs, man. I think the Chiefs are going to fuck around and come out of it again. Uh, you know, I Pittsburgh, think with that Patrick uh, Mahomes is he has that that he not only does he have like all the talent and the gifts and all of that, but he also has that charmed life thing. Yeah. You know, when I used to watch Derek Jeter, I was like, this guy is like he's unbelievable. He's he's like he's everything you'd want in a player. And then he also just had like that magic thing. Like, remember, like I don't know, you watch like baseball when that guy overthrew the cutoff man and he ran and he ran, he was like over by like the, the, uh, the, uh, on deck circle on the other side on the first base side, he plays short and he just grabbed the ball and went like that. And, and the dude on the A's didn't slide and he got the out. And it's just like, I can't say that cause that was just like a heads up play, but he just has that. He's got that thing. I, I just see Patrick Mahomes so many games he should lose. And he they doesn't. still win because, like, he just has – it's beyond being good. Well, I'm going to tell you – beyond being good. He's, he's – that guy is blessed. Russell Wilson has it, too. I love Russell. Russell Wilson's my favorite. Russell Wilson has it, too. What's it, but you're a baseball guy, though, right? You're not a football guy first. You're a baseball guy. I'm a hockey guy. And you're a hockey guy first. Boston. Yeah, that's right. They Boston. Kinda, they, no, it's Boston. He said it Boston. right. Boston. No, no. That's wrong. It's Boston. It's B-A-W, if you want to say it right. You don't have to. Boston. Uh, but they kind of ruined the sport. They kind of, they they got too much of the fighting out of it and shit. They just, I wish they just had accepted the fact that they were a rogue sport and that, you know, the owners were just going to be multimillionaires. But for some reason, people always want more. So they're trying to make as much money as the NFL guys and hold people hostage for stadiums and all that bullshit that the fucking NFL does. Are you... Are, were you ever, uh, did you ever play hockey? Yeah. No, it's too expensive. Did you ever play any sports? No, no. I Oh yeah. I played baseball. I played a little bit of football, but and then I played pond hockey. What the um, fuck is that? Jesus, Kev. Kev, you know something? If you don't know something, it's okay. Nobody's yeah, What the pressure. fuck is that? Pond hockey? What yeah. is that? Well, there's a pond and when it we used to get cold enough before global warming, you would go out and you'd play pickup hockey. It was the oh. shit. Oh, sounds safe. It was the you shit. Well, this is what you do. You take the biggest rock you can find and you throw it up in the air. And if it lands on, on the ice and slid and no crack, you know, a couple of cracks, you were fine. That's how you would test it. That to me is insane. And that shows what the kids today are lacking. There is none of that. The kids don't have the balls to play like that today. 
It doesn't exist because he's fucking. Uh, I don't know. I think that I think they're just doing new, different, dangerous things. You've seen these 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 kids? They do these front flips and back flips and no, walk, no. Walk, I see walk, kids. I see kids skyscrapers. I see kids fucking TikTok. That's what I see. I see kids TikTok, IG. I see them live stream. I don't see kids fucking do that. I can't tell you the last time I've seen my kids go outside without me making them go outside with me or for us to do something. My kids don't just say, we're going outside. In defense of them, if we had what they had, we wouldn't have gone outside either. Rightfully so. And I think, of course, that's part of the problem. Video games were two lines with like a ball. Yeah. I mean, this shit, they're like, they're in the world. Yeah, the creative, no. the, the creative is is out of this fucking world for them. All right. With that being said, as a parent, does that make you want to pull back some of the things that are available for your kids to use and and play with today? Are you going to be one of the parents that's no game? I'll try to do my best to have a balance because you don't want your kid to be like dressed like a Quaker and churning <laughs> butter. That's just a recipe for an ass kicking at school. They got to know what's going on. Yeah. But both of my kids are going to know how to drive. My, I have an old truck. I have a 68 F100 that shifts three on the tree, three on the column. Okay. okay. They're going to know how to do that. They're going to know how to change the oil on it. Um, my, what's, my important? Like, what, what's important that you, know, you feel important, like Knowing how to catch and throw a ball, knowing how to Very hit important. a ball. You know. Uh, True story. You ready for this, Bill? True story. Knowing how to ri- learn how to ride a dirt bike. Like knowing how to ride a motorcycle and shit. I like that Rambo stuff. Like, you know, when you watch like Rambo, they used to always make a joke how no matter what mode of transportation he showed up to, he knew how to use it. He knew how to do it. Yeah. So I would like them to do, uh, be able to do as much as, as of that type of stuff to just kind of see like a, a world outside of the house. Because um, I definitely, you know, I, I learned how to braid my daughter's hair, right? Because I just didn't want to be her white dad, you know? So. I can tell you, I can tell you that a friend of mine, this is like one of the most embarrassing things that I've ever, that I've ever seen. Right. And he just, he just had to laugh about it. I was like, yo, you know, me and my family, we got bikes. We love to go out, man. And we, we ride, we go to like these little bike paths and we'll do like, you know, just a nice little family ride. I said, you should come. My friend's got like four kids. He's like, you know what? Yeah, that would be cool. We've never done anything like that. Let's do it. He says, I got to get his bikes. I said, well, come on, go down to the bike store. I said, my guy there, he'll give you guys like a nice little discount and stuff. So we go down there to get the bikes. His son, his son is like 16 years old. He gets the bike. The whole family's ready to go. His son gets on the bike. Bill, his son could not ride a bike. I looked at him. I said, are you fucking kidding me? I said, you never taught him how to ride a bike? By the way, my friend is filthy rich. Filthy. Of course he is. He goes, he says, Kev, he says, you know I'm a great father. He said, but this just made me realize that I missed some things. He he had to say, I can't go today. Spent the day teaching his 16-year-old son how to ride a bike. Dude, I'm not going to lie to you. That right there is my biggest fear as a father. That's a fucking real thing. I I don't want to miss any of that stuff and what I love what I've been able to change right because every generation you know you want to change keep the stuff that work changes what I love about my kids is my kids are not afraid of me Mm. they respect me but they're not afraid of me Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. when I was growing up you were afraid of your dad absolutely (laughs) Absolutely. 
he came in the front door, you went out the back door. Like yeah. you just avoided that dude. If he was talking, everybody had to shut the fuck up. And, and listen. Just, yeah. So and I and I've realized that so much of my anger came from the way I'm built and then being in that overbearing old school style. Because my dad's a great dad. It's just like there was there weren't like videos yeah. teaching you how to be a better. He learned that sit down, shut the fuck up. You know? Well, why do I have to? Because I fucking said so. Like it's just like you do that to somebody for 18 years, they're gonna come out a little resentful. <laughs> and then the greatest shit, this is the greatest shit is then when you bring that shit up later in life, in your 30s to your parents, they always just say the same, well, oh, I never did that. <laughs> I love you. My dad. I never did that. And my what dad. I've learned, this is what I've learned. This is what I've learned, dude, is my perception of my childhood and my parents' perception of my childhood, neither one of those is true. Wow. It's somewhere in the middle. Because kids put an unfair amount of weight on their parents because their parents are their universe. So little things to them. Wow. Hey, can I get this car? No, no, come on. Yeah, stop it. Like, that's your world. Like, but that was the car I wanted. Yeah. And then yeah. like they're in their thirties and I wanted that car. Yeah. And, they <laughs> and then they're sitting there going, <laughs> like, motherfucker, I had five kids. I was just trying to get through the day. So I think what I learned from that is I have to understand that little things are big things to my kids. So all mm. I have to do is listen and, um, you know, let them say what they have to say, assess what they're saying. You know, obviously, if I still don't want them to be able to do something, if I don't think it's right, I'll still say no, but I will listen to them. And then and then um, and if I fuck up, I apologize. So well, like my, my, daughter, my, dad, my, my dad is on key. Same thing. Same exact thing you're saying, but it's like my dad doesn't have any realization of the shit that he did. Now, me and my brother, we don't really give a fuck, but my brother was the one who was really affected. Now, my brother was affected, not me. Like, my dad stole, he stole my brother's car. Listen, from the bottom of my heart, you're you're a fucking mess. I'm a fucking, what are you talking about? You are, Kev. You you are. I'm not even close to a mess. The reason why you work so goddamn hard, there's two reasons. One, you want to be successful, all Mm -hmm. that shit, right? But you also, when you're fucking occupied, you, the smoke can't catch up with you. That's what I found in this pandemic. All my shit can't catch up to you. It me. can't catch up with you because yeah. you're doing the next thing and you, you keep it. It's just behind you. And all it takes is a fucking pandemic to sit you me down. No more stand-up gigs. <laughs> and you fucking clean the house and you threw out all your old shit. And then you're just sitting there. And then this melancholy, like from the first time in in like maybe like a decade and a half, I felt depression really to come up on. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck is this? I thought I was past all of this and I I wasn't like, I built this great life, but I Mm -hmm. didn't deal with this other shit. When you sat down, you felt like all of that shit came or, or was able to catch up. Everybody was quarantined. The phone stopped ringing. There was no more emails. I mean, that was occasional bullshit or whatever, but it was just like, I had nothing to do. Wow. I just sat there and this fucking shit came in like a marine layer. It just fucking settled in me. And my wife was up. She was, what's going on with you? I was like, I got, I got, I don't know, man. Like I got the fucking, the blues or so. I don't know I what. The, I, I got the DPs. I got I the got pressies. The, yeah. I got the pressies, honey. Uh, yeah. So I, I, 
I played drums too, which is great to, uh, I Let guess, off some avoid, steam. and also sort of avoid what you're feeling. Okay. <laughs> Once you're, again. You're Will Ferrell on Step Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, that, that fucking movie. That movie was one of the funniest movies, not only because me and my wife thought it was hilarious, my mother-in-law thought it was stupid. And she sat there and watched this with us. And she was going, this isn't funny. You think this is funny? It just made it even funnier. And then I knew that part where he was going to put his balls on the drum uh, and that they were going to show his balls. It's one of my favorite things ever. I don't think I can. I don't, I don't think that I, well, I definitely know that I'm not uh, a depressed individual, but what you said makes sense actually though, about like moving so fast and shit never having a chance to catch up to you. And if it did have the opportunity, what effect on you would that have? Uh, all the shit that acts. How much me. quiet time do you have over the course of a week? Like when you ride in your car, can you sit in your car and ride in it, not be on the phone and not have the radio on? I already know the answer to this shit. I used to tease about you on the no, phone. What we do with the pilot? With you. I got if it's not the the radio or the no, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna lie. No. Yeah, because I'm, the demons that's then the demons all of a sudden, like what made you become a comic starts coming up. Now I'm I'm kind of at this crossroads where I, I'm sitting there. Do you live with your demons? Mm. Uh, is there a way to face them and, and they do go away? Because that just sounds like some Dr. Phil shit. Yeah, but go away. One of the funniest inadvertent comedies I've ever seen in my life. I love the Dr. Phil show. But the fine go away. Because stop doing heroin. And they're like, okay. Thanks, Philip. I'm fixed. But what do you mean when you say demons go away? Like, do you really believe that they go away or do you just put them to rest? You can put it to rest, but if you want to wake it up, you can wake it the fuck up. There is no go away. I like how you just said that. That just got me amped up. Yeah, like there's this. Wake the fuck up. Let's come on, Kev. Let's go. Yeah, but it's it's true. Like there's no, there is no go away. You know, a person that was an alcoholic and decided to stop drinking, well, they put that alcoholic demon to sleep. But if they go and take a shot one day, well, that alcoholic demon is going to fucking get up. So it's it's how you deal with the things that you know are your worst. I don't think you. I don't think that you can. you, when people say, yeah, I, I let all my childhood shit go. It's like, you can't. Nah, yeah, you don't. You dealt with it. It's just, it's like, um, you know, I don't think pain goes away. I think it's always still there. It's just, you're able to function more and more with the distance from the pain. But if you go back and relive it, That's that emotion hurt. is still gonna uh, be in there. But, uh, I did learn though, this is one of the hardest things I learned that, that, that crying is a valid emotion. And it's so funny that men don't do it mm-hmm. and you try and stop it. And that's what the shit just sits here. And the next thing you know, you, you're putting together a bicycle on Christmas and it it's not working. Out. And then that shit that you should have <laughs> cried about, that shit starts coming out and people, where is this coming from? It's just like, <laughs> oh, I got my ass kicked when I was eight and I never dealt with it. So now- <laughs> I'm gonna tell you when I, when I cried, my my and this is the only cry that i can truly truly remember in like the past i'm gonna say seven years outside no my kids my kids being born those are like the little cool tears where you're just welling up but i'm talking really cried after my accident when i got home from the hospital i 
I got home and I walked outside by myself. Nobody was with me. That's the that's the only time. <laughs> listen, nobody that. was with me. I broke the fuck down so bad because when I walked outside by myself, it was the first like real steps that I've taken without people being around me and that you okay, you need anything? What can we do? How's that feel? Like no questions. I did it by myself, but it's the first time that I realized I was like, oh fuck, it was really almost over. You, you know what the cruelest thing about life is? Wouldn't you love to be able to stay in that mind space, my, that head space and just really appreciate just being able to walk outside? Yes. Absolutely. And, and, could, that you, and you were so happy that you could just do that and you had this house, beautiful it, wife, beautiful kids, and it, and it could bring you to tears rather than getting comfortable. And, and getting you used get to comfortable and you constantly get, needing new stimulation. Well, that's fucking the last, right, time, last time I, I had to let it go was um, a uh, one of my great friends died back uh-huh. in August. So I'm able to talk about it because I, I just cried for a week. I just said, fuck it. I'm, I, I got kids now. I can't have this grief sitting in me. Yeah. And it was just like, and I really learned, and I actually think that that's one of the reasons why women outlive men is because they, it's socially, accept, they can break down in a fucking fud ruckus. Packed Applebee's. It's, just, it's okay. Nobody's going to judge them. No, People come, they're okay. going to come over and comfort you. Okay. If you break down in an Applebee's as a man, <laughs> what the fuck is his problem? Jesus yeah, Christ. uncomfortable. Ew, Jesus, Jesus Whoa. Christ. Yeah, hey, I'm so out of I here. think that all of that shit and it sits on your chest, and then one day you're walking, you fucking have a heart attack. <laughs> you just keel over. I love, I love your, I love just your, I love your mind, Bill. And you know we can fuck around and we talk shit all the time and. I know for a fact that you're a friend. I know for a fact. Yeah, but I know for a fact ones. after this podcast, I probably won't hear from you for about six years. So and the next time I see you, you'll be like, I love you, Bill. Bill, yeah. I love, I've always loved you. Yeah. What does that mean? That's how we operate. Doesn't change. How you I I've come to accept that with you. You're gonna That's put your I'm hoodie up right. and you're just gonna keep plowing forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna say some really sincere, heartfelt shit to me, yeah. and then I'm not gonna see you for about 18 months. Nah, we'll see each other. I'll bump into you something. What are you talking about? You know where you know what the truth was and what you just said? What? That pause right before you started talking. That's that's the only truth and what that, I just that said. That was the truth of what you just said. It's not true, Bill. I fucking love you, man. Now you're not even looking at me. You just broke yep. eye contact. You Bill I'm all over you right now, Kev. Full court defense. Bill, no, that's three not three second violation. Bill, stop. What do you stop <laughs> using these references? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. I figure I talk about basketball. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you guys just had the goddamn privilege and pleasure of getting into the mind of one of the fucking best to do it man i'm talking about bill burr bill before we fucking say goodbye i mean what i say dude you're you're truly one of the fucking good guys like you're genuine you're unapologetically you and you always have been and i'm always gonna love and appreciate you for that dude distance though I mean, what, you, what does that mean? Yeah, I know you're busy. I'm just fucking with you. I miss <laughs> hanging out with you, dude. I miss the fucking old days when we were all fucking broke. just, just and literally just, just at a table, shit. at a table with a sandwich, and just talking shit. 
been eating. Like, you guys criticized the way I ate. I had to eat before I came to the cellar after a while. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, you want to see something that just looks like it's inappropriate. Bill Burr eating a buffalo wing is something that will it's not inappropriate. I was going on. This is how bad the cellar was. I was gonna go on stage. I had my beard was fuller. I didn't want sauce in my face. So I was sitting there. Uh, I was trying to eat the wing. I was going like uh, like that. And then this asshole saw it. Bill looks the sick. The started. I said, Bill's dying. Then I went down. <laughs> I came back up and it continued. And then for the, for the rest of my time there, every time I would have mashed potatoes as it was going to my mouth, everybody's dead. <laughs> Little Bill. Oh, Jesus. Ain't the way the potatoes are sitting on that spoon. Bill's sick. That's what we said. Bill's sick. He, he's not telling us. That's Bill's dying. Said. He's dying. He said Bill eats his chicken wings like he's dying. <laughs> You know when somebody says some shit, you're like, oh, that's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't just a quick little jab. That that was an overhand right, and my ears are going to be ringing for the next two weeks as people talk about Oh, it. God. Once again, please, please appreciate the mind that you guys just got to get into. I'm talking about my friend, Bill Burr. Bill, I love you. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil with Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a Slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.